This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Well, it's great to be with you today, and it's been great getting to know Steve over the last few days. He's a great guy, and I listened to some of his teaching from the recent weeks. He's a great teacher, and I found out he likes great coffee. So that's like a trifecta of a really sharp person, I think, and you're lucky to have him here as a teacher. I also have really enjoyed I flew into Portland on Wednesday, and I've just been enjoying the sunshine, no clouds. It's just beautiful. Is it always like this here? It's pretty much... Yeah, yeah. Do you lie to all your guest speakers? Uh, <laughs> anyway, it has just been great. I'm, I live in Colorado now, and we had a foot of snow last week. So now I've mowed my lawn since then. It all melted, but uh, I'm really enjoying your weather here. Um, also, you mentioned Lee Strobel. He's right now speaking at a sister church to this one, uh, part of the EPC group uh, in Denver, Cherry Hills, a church that both Lee and I have been associated with there. So it's kind of fun to be uh, at sister churches at the same time. I'm going to talk to you this morning about what I call the unexpected adventure, but let me just be honest. It's a cleverly disguised way of talking about sharing our faith a subject I know that freaks many of us out, right? Because you kind of know deep down this is that like dreaded E word, evangelism. And most of us have either had bad experiences with it or seen bad examples of it. And there's a lot of us have anyway. And so I'm convinced like the average Christian, when they hear about sharing their faith, they say, I know who that's for. It's for a different kind of person than me. It's either for superstar Christians who can do it really well. You know, the Luis Palau's of the world, the Greg Laurie's, you know, Pastor Steve's, the, the, those guys. Uh, and I'm not a superstar, so it's not for me. Uh, it's either for people like that or for people that are just weird enough to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, they're obnoxious Christians. They don't really know how to build friendships. They're not articulate and educated. They just foist themselves on people and cram their religion down their throat. And again... I'm not a superstar, but I don't want to be an obnoxious person. So I guess I'll leave evangelism to the other person. You know, I'll just be an ordinary Christian. And unfortunately, I just described about 95% of the Christians in the world, and probably uh, many of you right here in this church. And uh, unless you think I'm just talking to you, let me just say that I have the same, you know, mixed feelings when it comes to evangelism. Um, I, uh, let me just tell you a quick story. When I was in grad school, went to school in Chicago. My, I'd just gotten married. We, we got there. And we'd grown up in the middle, Midwest. And the most exotic place I'd ever been was Winnipeg, Manitoba. So, I mean, I, like, I needed to get out, right? And so we found out about this summer overseas ministry opportunity where we could go, like, somewhere in the world. We didn't know where we'd be sent, but we signed up to go and just serve a church for that summer. Yeah, this sounds awesome. So we signed up, and we didn't really ask enough questions like, what are we actually going to do when we get there? So we kind of naively go, oh, this will be fun. And they sent us to London, which was kind of cool. I like London. I like the British people. But we get to England, to this church, and then we meet the team captain, and we said, well, we're so glad to be here. What are we going to do? He said, I'm so glad you asked. 
He was a little overly enthusiastic. He's like, you know, yeah, we're going to go out. He, he goes, we're going to have fun. And I go, okay, what are we going to do? He goes, we're going to go out starting early tomorrow morning, all around the neighborhoods, all around the church. We're going to knock on doors and tell them about Jesus. And I right away didn't like the sound of that at all. I mean, it's like, I don't know about you. Maybe you guys love talking to strangers about your faith, walking up to people at malls or knocking on doors. It just wasn't my, I, I just knew this isn't, you know, like my personality. I just, I, but then I felt guilty because like, I ought to like this because I love people and I love God and I want to introduce them to each other. So I just got to get my act together. I got to pray more. I got to, you know, gear up. And then the next morning we went out, and I just got to tell you, the gearing up didn't work. It was really hard. You know, people, I, I don't know if you know this, but Americans fresh out of Heathrow Airport in London, England, knocking on doors of strangers to tell them about Jesus is not like a real popular thing in British culture. Um, it wasn't like Acts 10 where Peter goes to Cornelius' house and like an angel tells him ahead of time. We didn't have any like angel help that I know of. Um, and, you know, we knock on the doors and people are like, what do you want? I'm thinking, what, what about the British hospitality? I learned how to hold a teacup, you know, you counterbalance with your little finger. I was all ready for British tea and hospitality. And one person, I remember a woman opened her door just enough to stick her nose out. And she said, what do you want? And I said, well, we don't really want anything. We're just going around the neighborhood. We're from the church on the corner. We're just talking about faith with people. And, she, and then she said something really accusatory. She said, you have an American accent. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, I thought they had the accents, you know. <laughs> but I guess it's us. And I, I said, well, that, what a coincidence. I'm from America. And she said, well, why don't you go pester people in your own country? which is why I'm here today. I'm here to pester you. Um, but it was tough, and I did them for eight weeks. Count them, eight weeks we were doing this. I, honestly, the only way I survived is my wife was there, and she's like, she likes meeting strangers. She's real, like, happy energizer, bunny kind of person, and real, you know, cute and outgoing. And so what, what I learned to do is let her knock on the door. I hid in the bushes, you know. And they'd say, oh, she's cute, come on in. And then I'd run in right behind her. And then once in a while, we would have a good conversation. But it was tough. And when I remember when I was flying back, I lived in, in Chicago at the time. I remember flying back from London. And I don't think I said it to Heidi. I don't think I said it out loud. But in my mind, I thought, that's it, I'm done with evangelism. This is not my deal. It's not my gift, not my thing. I'll just be an ordinary Christian like a lot of you probably have already decided. But how many of you know that God has a sense of humor? <laughs> Get this. Less than a year later, I was hired as the first director of evangelism <laughs> at Willow Creek Community Church, one of the biggest churches in the country, you know, doing this full time. And the question is, what happened? And what happened was I heard some teaching at that church that changed my view of what evangelism looks like. And instead of viewing it as this burden or this weird activity or something that doesn't fit me, I suddenly viewed it as an adventure. I viewed it as something that really fits me and something that's exciting. And I know you're not convinced yet, but I think it'll help if I give you the examples that I learned. And here's what I found out, that there's a variety of ways that people, even in the pages of the New Testament, 
shared their faith with other people. They didn't all do the same thing. And they didn't lay guilt trips on each other that if you really love Jesus, you'd do what I do. You know, what, they didn't do any of that. They just found ways that were natural to them to get in the adventure of talking about their faith. And so what I want to do is unpack what I learned with you now to show you that there's at least six styles of evangelism right in the pages of Scripture. And I'm betting you can all do at least one of these. And I'll tell you up front, probably some of you can do two or three of them, or you're a combination, you're a hybrid. Um, Or you may be style seven that we didn't think of. That's great. The main idea is that you can do something that will fit you, and when you find that niche and start operating in it, it's going to be an adventure. God will use you uh, to touch the people you're trying to reach. Okay, so let me go through these six. And I'll give you the biblical example, scriptural example. It was easier to say. Um, And I want you to engage and be thinking, does that sound like me? Because I'm actually going to have you raise hands of which one you think might be you, okay? So you've got to be awake here. You've got to really engage with me. You've got to stay with me, okay? You with me? All right. So let's go to the first example, style called, we call it the direct style. And you see it in Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And it's, you know, Peter over here in Jerusalem talking to a largely religious audience. But he confronts them with the truth. He's very direct. Remember the day of Pentecost? It was right, you know, a few weeks after the resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus. They had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been sharing their uh, faith, you know, in a miraculous way in various languages. And then Peter felt compelled to get up and he gets up and preaches this really strong sermon. Basically says, look, God sent his Messiah. You killed him. You're in big trouble. That's like it. You try that sermon on Easter. Um, and they, they go, you know, they didn't laugh at him or scoff at him or resist. They, they knew it was true. So they said, yeah, um, that makes sense, Peter. What must we do to be saved? And he said, I'm so glad you asked because the good news is the Messiah that was murdered was brought back to life. And he's alive to, to lead you to the Father and forgive you and give you salvation if you'll call on the name of the Lord, which 3,000 people called on the name of the Lord and were baptized into the church. But what I want you to catch is not so much all those particulars. What I want you to get here is what Peter did fit Peter. He wasn't trying to act like Paul or imitate one of the other disciples. He was being who he just naturally was. He was always direct. He, he got to the point. He, you know, he was bold whether he was right or wrong. Sometimes he got it wrong, right? I mean, you read the stories, but he usually got it right. That day he got it really right. And he, the other point is, some of you have a personality a lot like Peter's. Now, maybe you're not preaching to people. Maybe you're not even sharing your faith yet, but you like to get to the point. You're direct. You're like, you don't want small talk. You don't want to beat around the bush. You want to create action. You're a stir-it-up kind of person. You might be a leader. You're probably a type A personality. Um, let me just ask. How many of you say it sounds like you're describing my personality? Okay, raise your hands right there. How many have someone next to you that should have raised their hand and didn't? <laughs> See, now the truth comes out. Well, I just want to say, I'm not one of you that just raised your hands, or you back there, but I thank God for you. 
because it was one of you that reached me when I was 19 years old. I had just gotten out of high school. I had grown up in the church. I knew what was right, and I was not living it. And a guy I knew from high school named Terry came into the place where I worked, started talking to me. He goes, Mark, you, you claim to be a Christian, don't you? Well, that's a weird way. You know, when someone says, you claim to be a Christian, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, where are we going with this, Terry? He goes, how can you claim to be a Christian when you do this? You're known for that. You're partying with these guys. You're doing... And I didn't know what, I mean, it's like I, I felt caught, you know. So I came up with the best thing I could come up with. I, I said, well, I'm a cool Christian. <laughs> you know, it's special species. We don't get hung up in all the rules and all that stuff. We have a lot of fun. He goes, yeah, there's a word for that. And I said, what's that? And he said, hypocrite. <laughs> I call that direct. Do, do you, you agree with me on that? Very direct. And it, I, honestly, he made me mad. And I, I, you know, what do you do in that situation? You go after the guy, right? So I go, well, Terry, who do you think you are? You think you're Mr. Holy now? Or, you know, he goes, no, but at least I'm honest about it. Ouch. So he made me mad, but he made me think. And I thought a lot, and that, that thinking turned to repentance over the next few days. And less than a week later, I committed my life to Christ at age 19. So I thank God for the direct style. And I just want to urge you and some of you that maybe should have raised your hands, some of you have the personality to stir things up. And you might like knocking on doors of strangers, or you might not. But you're not afraid to challenge someone to, to say, come on, you can do better than that. Or in my case, spiritually, to say, come on, act like what you claim to be. And some of us, there's other Mark Middlebergs out there like me when I was 19 who need some of you to get in their face with the truth. So that's the first one. It's a really important style. Let me go on to the second example. This one is the intellectual style. And uh, our example's in the same book of Acts, but very different setting over here in Acts 17, talking to the philosophers over here in Greece. And our person here is not Peter, it's Paul, who's highly educated, and he knows his stuff, and he's, he's reasoning with these philosophers. And he logically lays out the gospel. And get this, I love this, he even quotes their philosophers to make his point. It's like, you know, quoting lyrics from Nirvana or something, you know. He's like, he knew the culture. He knew what they, you know, were listening to or believed, and... He's relating to them, but he's logically laying it out. And and the point I want you to get is what Paul did there fit Paul because he was a logical guy. He was always Googling things and, you know, know, the counterpart to that. He was looking it up in scrolls and stuff. But he was a knowledge guy. He was a logic guy. He was, you know, he was a debater of truth. And so debating Christian truth made sense for him. Now, some of you, maybe you're not debating Christian truth in that way yet, but you're like a knowledge, you're Googling things. You want to know, and you're looking things up, and and you research stuff, and you want to be right, and you like to debate ideas, maybe political stuff, or maybe, you know, business stuff, or whatever. Um, How many of you say, okay, that sounds more like me? Raise your hands. And and keep your hands up for a minute. I want people to see who you are, because this is really the best of the six styles, I think. Um, This is probably the most godly of the six. Um, 
Oh yeah, by the way, this is mine too, by the way. Uh, all right, maybe it's not the most godly, but it is really important. Why do I say that? Well, because the Bible tells all of us as believers to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason for our hope in Christ. So it's, all of us need to do a little of each of these. But some of you are, can be specialists in removing the intellectual obstacles and answering people's questions and, and clearing the, the path conceptually for someone to come to the cross and trust in Christ. And it's what Lee Strobel's doing right now in Denver. Uh, it's my main approach. Um, and Lee and I have done a lot of this together. We've hosted major debates between atheists and Christians. We've done seminars. We do Q&A events all over the world. I mean, it's, it's an adventure because I've found my niche and he's found his niche. Uh, this isn't actually his main style. I'll get to his next. But, but when you find your niche and, and, and you sense the God of the universe working and speaking through you, there's nothing better. And I just, I love talking to, you know, atheists and skeptics and Muslims and Mormons and people from all different belief systems and saying, yeah, but you got to look at this. Here's why Christianity is true. Here's why the Bible makes sense. Now, um, before I, and I just want to encourage those of you that raised your hands, study the right stuff. I mean, not just general knowledge stuff. Study things related to your faith. And you can not only be used by God, you can become like a consultant to all the Christians around you. So they run into some weird new thing, <laughs> some new ism, um, and they come to you and you help them figure it out and help them talk to their friends and help them answer the questions. Now, that, as I said a minute ago, this is something we all to some degree need to be able to do. First Peter 3.15 is for all of us. So before I go to the next one, I just want to mention, uh, as Steve said, I brought a couple of books that I've written in this area, um, and I just want to take a minute and tell you what they are, and we've got pictures of them here. Um, two books that we brought, and it's it talk sports language here for a minute, offense and defense. Um, the offense is the book on the left, it's called Confident Faith, and those red arrows represent 20 arguments I lay out in that book. For the Christian faith system, for the you know the existence of God, for Jesus being the Son of God, uh, I give arguments from science, philosophy, logic, history, uh, archaeology, fulfilled prophecies, miracles, the resurrection of Jesus, a bunch of stuff, so that you can you know in a positive way get on the offense and present reasons to your friends that Christianity makes sense and is worth considering. The book on the right, the questions Christians hope no one will ask with answers. You decided to add some answers to the book. Um, it's based on a survey we did of a thousand of you, a thousand Christians all over uh, North America, where we asked, what are the questions you most hope your non-Christian friends won't ask you because you don't feel ready? In other words, what are the questions we're afraid of? And it includes stuff like, you know, how do you know God exists? How do you know Jesus is the Son of God? Why are Christians so judgmental? What about homosexuality? What about abortion? All of these kinds of issues. And I wrote a chapter on each of those. So offense, defense, together they make a strong package. And Dean and his team back there are having a sale. Um, and here's what I want to say is a lot of us are two or three good books away from really being confident in our faith. 
And a lot of us avoid spiritual conversations because we don't want to embarrass ourselves. And I just want to say, if you, if you just get these two books and read them, you will feel way more confident. And I want to say, especially young people, this is life and death stuff. You're, you know what's on the internet. You know some of your friends that don't know God that are, they attack your faith. And, you know, it's, their arguments sound really good until you study them. And this stuff, you know, this information will help you know ahead of time. So then you hear the arguments, whether it's from your friends or whether it's from a you know, professor at college, and they say, well, you can't trust the Bible because it's, you know, and they, they have some cliche they give you. You go, I've already studied. That's a dumb argument. I've got answers to this stuff. So in effect, you know, and if for parents or grandparents, Invest in this stuff for your grandkids. And I even told the mom out there, I said, pay your kids to read this. This is a good idea, isn't it? Don't you think your parents should pay you to read this stuff, right? I just got in trouble with lots of parents. But I'm telling you, I did that with my kids. And they're walking with Christ today. They're both in ministry today. Young people need this information. I view it as a spiritual immunization to the culture we live in. So, and if we are probably going to run out of books, but as Steve mentioned, just you can pre-order them. We'll have them here by next Sunday. So you can, anything you don't get today, we'll, we'll have them here next week. All right, let me go on to the third style, testimonial. The example of this one is in John 9, the blind man who Jesus heals, and the guy Barely, you know, he, he can see, but he barely has a chance to blink before he finds himself on trial with the religious leaders. And they're pressing him, like, you know, who was this man that healed you, you know, this Jesus? And by what authority did he do this? And they're pressing him for all this intellectual information. He's going, what, do you think I'm Paul or something? No, I don't know any of this stuff. He goes, here's what I know. I used to be blind, now I can see. Deal with it. You know, you're going to argue with my experience? And, and it was a pretty powerful appeal. And he said, you know, if you want to know more, talk to Jesus. You know, but he used his story to answer the question, to, to kind of present his brand new found faith in Jesus. Well, who else does that? Lee Strobel. This is his main style. He does a combination of this in the intellectual, but if you ever listen to Lee speak or if you read his book, The Case for Christ, or see the movie, The Case for Christ, you'll know it's out of his experience that he speaks. And when I was an atheist, I used to think this. And then, you know, and, you know I, I didn't believe, and my wife was agnostic, but then one day Leslie came home and told me she'd become a Christian. And for me as an atheist, it was the worst possible news. And so he goes, uh, by the way, I can give his testimony if you want me to do that sometime. Lee and I have been ministry partners for 31 years, so we, we know our, each other's stuff, and we edit everything each of us writes. But his story's powerful, but the point isn't so much about the blind man's story or Lee Strobel's story. The point is, you have a story. If you're a follower of Christ, he's changed your life. And your friends want to know, what difference does it make to follow Christ? Is it something I should consider? And your story gives them a strong Yes. And for some of you, this is your main approach. And maybe you're not telling your spiritual story yet, but when you talk about what you did you know, over the summer or over the weekend, your friends are interested. You're a storyteller. People want to know what you're saying. And if you tell your spiritual story, God could really use that. How many of you say that sounds more like me? Okay? I just want to encourage you 
Because a lot of people, they're not so much interested in my information as they are in your experience. And part of what they're looking at is they're saying, does, does Christianity really work? Illustrate it with your life, with your story. So I just urge, uh, especially those of you that raised your hands, but all of us, to, to think through how would I describe what God's done in my life in normal English without getting all weird and poetry and, you know, religious sounding. And that's a lot of what we do in the Contagious Christian Course, is teach us how to talk normal but explain our faith in terms people can understand. Uh, number four is interpersonal. And this, this is more the relational style. The example in the Bible is Luke 5.29 says that the uh, disciple of Jesus named Matthew, the former tax collector, he wants to reach his text-collecting buddies, the guys with the cubicles next to his, right? So uh, he decides to throw a party. And Luke 5.29 talks about this party he had at his house where he invited the d- disciples and Jesus as well as the text-collecting friends and mixes it, mixes it up relationally. And conversations flow out of that. And I'll tell you, friends listen to friends, Right? Think about it. when you're going through a hard time. You don't want to. You don't say, "Well, I hope a Jehovah's Witness comes to my door so I can pour my heart out." No, you hope a friend will call, or maybe someone at the church, or in your youth group, or, or the pastor, or whatever. But friends listen to people that have a relationship with them, and this pro- approach says, "I'm going to build a relationship." And the cu- cup of coffee is that not a perfect icon for Portland? This is like one big citywide coffee cult or something. And it's awesome. I joined as soon as I got here because um, I love good coffee. But, uh, but have a cup of coffee with your non-Christian friends or a pizza or have them come to your house. You're watching the NBA playoffs anyway. Invite them over and hang out and then talk a little afterwards. And relationships open the door to conversations. How many of you say, okay, I can do that. That sounds more like me. Well, I urge you to do it intentionally and be praying for open doors and opportunities of people you can reach out to and, you know, get up close to and and do what Matthew did. All right, uh, number five is the invitational style. Example in Scripture of this one, I love the story in John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, meets Jesus, finds out he's the Messiah, gets all excited, leaves her pale by the well, runs up the hill to her town in Samaria, grabs all of her friends, and brings them down to hear Jesus. And they hear Jesus, and a bunch of them come to faith. In fact, that's how the church in Samaria started. And I'm not even going to take a hand raise on this one, because guess what? We can all invite people. To, to, you know, something that they would relate to. Maybe they're intellectual and you bring them to a lecture. You know, Ravi Zacharias is in town or, or whatever. Or they're, they're into music and Toby Mac's in town. Or they're, um, you know, they're into movies and you take them to, you know, I Can Only Imagine or Case for Christ movie or you'd watch it on Netflix. But you invite them to those kinds of things. And I'll tell you one, here's one that's easy to overlook. Invite them to your church. Studies show like a third of our friends would go to church if we would just invite them. But one study showed that one denomination, on average, the people in the church invited their friends to church once every 26 years. 
Friends, there's a problem with that. (laughs) You only get three invitations in a lifetime. Um, I say invite recklessly. You know, and just you meet people. I met a waitress in a restaurant this week. I invited her to the service. She might be here. I don't know. But people are more interested than than you think they are if you'll just invite them. Uh, The Samaritan woman invited her friends. They were curious. They came down. People are curious, especially if you say, well, we're in a a series and we've got a really good teacher. His name's Steve. Here's what he's going to be talking about. I think you'd really enjoy this. And invite him strategically like that. I've got to tell you one quick story before I go on to the last one. And I'll make this very brief. I actually do a whole message on this. But there was a sailor uh, who, and this is, I'm going way back, 1940s, who was in the Navy. He actually signed up to, for the Navy to get away from his abusive alcoholic father. And he met a guy who was his commanding officer in the Navy. It was in Memphis, Tennessee. The commanding officer was a Christian, a guy named Bill. He invited the sailor. First of all, you know, gave him a Bible and talked to him about his faith, but then invited him to go and hear uh, an evangelist that was coming through town. And that guy went. And he heard a guy named Charles Fuller give the gospel. And that sailor came to Christ that night. And then he followed Christ faithfully, married a Christian woman, had four awesome kids. I'm the third born. (laughs) And it's a story I've told for years. I told it at the plow deal the other day about this guy named Bill Abraham who impacted my dad's life by inviting him to hear a message that changed not just his life but his family's life for eternity. And that's the power of one invitation. Want to hear the rest of the story? I met his daughter here at this church after the 9 o'clock service and his granddaughter. Bill Abraham no longer is alive, but uh, where do I have it here. Julie Shepard is his daughter, and Allison Porter is his granddaughter. So I just meet, the, they came up and started, uh, Julie, Julia started telling me the story. She said, you know, she started describing, I said, let me, let me, just wait, stop, let me guess, is your dad's name Bill Abraham? She said, yes, and she hugged me. Her dad led my dad, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her dad inviting someone. So just take a little risk. You don't know what God's going to do through your little stretching and, and doing something. Just try something. And some of you are going, you haven't hit mine yet, so let me go to number six. <laughs> Hopefully this is it, because this is my last one. Um, or your number seven, as I said earlier. But serving style, a woman named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, who it says in the text, made clothing for needy people in the name of Christ. She served them. She was sort of like a first century Mother Teresa. You know how important her service was? You read the text, Acts 9, she died, and God's going, no way, I needed her at work. So he has Peter go and pray over her and raise her back to life and put her back into service. See, there are some advantages to some of these styles. (laughs) You just don't know what might happen. So get in the game, and uh, those of you with this approach, you see needs the rest of us don't see, and you find delight in meeting them. And I, well, let me just ask you, how many say that sounds more like me? Okay. I just want to encourage you. You will reach the hardest to reach people. A lot of hurting people are, are hurt people. 
And they're angry at God, and sometimes they're angry at the church. And then one of you, in the name of Jesus, serves them, and it, it just brings down the walls, and it opens them up. And, uh, you know, then, then it may be that other people can get involved in helping, but that service is so important. And here's my challenge for you. Don't serve silently. People with this style is like, ah, I, just, I just work with my hands, or I just I bring the food, or I build the house, or whatever it is. Do that, but somehow, verbally or with a card or a note or a book or something, let them know it's the love of Jesus that motivates you so that they give credit where it's due and are drawn to him and not just to you. Okay? So, next slide. Six different examples. Again, you may be a combination. You may be number seven. But here's my bet. You can do at least one of these. And if you will, God will use it. And also, I would like to have them all up there to remind you, you're not alone in this. You're in a church. So you can, you know, team up with other people and and involve them. And they use their approach and you use your approach. And together, we reach our friends and family for Christ. And I want to end now with one last thought. And uh, here it is. Why did I call this the unexpected adventure? Well, Think about adventure. And I know we're in Portland. You guys are into lots of adventurous stuff here, outdoors stuff. I'm betting whatever, when you think adventure, whatever came to your mind, I'm betting there's a little danger in it. It's not adventurous if it's just, you know, I take naps on the beach. You know, I was like, no, that's, I mean, not unless there's land sharks or something, you know. Um, what, you know, you, you white water uh, raft or something. Now there's a little danger there, and so that becomes adventure. Let me tell you my adventure. I ride mountain bike. In fact, I have a picture of my bike, and it's awesome. It's a full suspension carbon fiber mountain bike, and it's cool, and I love it. But why is it adventurous? It's adventurous because I don't just tool around, you know, on the church parking lot on a Saturday afternoon. I have to get out there where there's a little danger, a little bit of risk, where there's snakes. Uh, And I've encountered rattlesnakes and tarantulas when I lived in Southern California. And now I live in Colorado, and now I encounter my neighbors. (laughs) And you laugh, but here's the picture of one of my neighbors. That is in my neighborhood. And now I ride fast, I'm telling you. In fact, I saw a mountain lion two weeks ago. But... That's that for me, really. I mean, part of what makes mountain biking fun is it's like this is adventure because there's a little risk. And you go, that's not my kind of risk. Fine, find your own kind of risk. But if that's true in the general world of recreation and adventure, it's true spiritually. And I just want to say, some of you, your Christian lives have become boring because you're not stretching yourself, you're not trying things that are new, you're not taking risks for the sake of the gospel. So my challenge to you as I close is you want adventure in your Christian life? Take some risks for Jesus. Specifically by bringing it up, talking to friends, inviting them, teaching them, challenging their crazy ideas, whatever, and see how God will work. And you know what will happen? You'll get more excited about walking with the Lord. They'll get more open spiritually. And some of them are going to come to Christ like my dad did. And you will have someone next to you for eternity thanking you 
for getting in the unexpected adventure of the Christian life. God bless.